Thank you. How are you all doing today? Really? Just that good? Not great? How many dads got breakfast or something this morning? Put your hand up if you got breakfast this morning. Sheesh, you got good kids. What did I get this morning? Nothing. Not a thing. Don't ruin a good story by saying that we celebrated yesterday. Uh, it just ruins it for me. It makes me look like, stops me from looking like a victim and makes it look like I got looked after. Um, so good to have you all here today celebrating Father's Day and um, definitely on my heart, I've been praying this morning for those of you who are missing your dad because your dad may not be around anymore. Um, this is my second Father's Day without my dad and so uh, praying for you guys that some of you, it's your first Father's Day without your dad and it's always tough. The firsts are always the hardest, yes? The first Father's Day, the first birthdays, the first Christmas are always the hardest and so you're on, on our hearts and our prayers today and I hope that you find some way of just celebrating the memory of him rather than the loss of him, yeah? And, um, and uh, it'll be awesome. I'm so excited to finish the series today. How many people are excited that I, we finished the series today? No? Okay, cool. Shall we keep going then? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't have any, I don't have any more material. Um, this is it. This is as good as it gets. Now, I don't want to share about a miracle today, but let me give you a little bit of a background to what happened. It's, 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 it starts in Matthew chapter 14, but before we get to the, the miracle that happens and hopefully pull some things out of it that'll help you in your walk with God, and, and that is this, is that just before this miracle happened, um, there was the feeding of the 5,000, but before the feeding of the 5,000 was the beheading of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was... Jesus' cousin, right? So, so when he hears about John the Baptist being beheaded, he tries to go off on his own. How many people know that's not a bad thing? He probably wants to go off and grieve the loss of his cousin. Um, but unfortunately, a bunch of people follow him, and, and there's 5,000 men plus women and children, and then he, we see the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But, but Jesus is not getting this break. He, he's wanting to grieve for the loss of his cousin, but the people are swamping him, and Jesus, being Jesus, puts his needs second and put others' needs first. But then it goes on after the feeding of the 5,000, and we jump in here at verse 22, and it says that after he dismissed them all, after the people had gone away, it says this in verse 22 of Matthew 14, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. How many people think that the disciples obviously didn't have much choice there? It says that he made them get into the boat. This was not a consensus. This was not, would you like to hop in the boat? This is like a dad moment, hey, just get in the car. <laughs> or get out of bed. It's a dad moment where he's just kind of saying, right, guys, get in the boat. Immediately they got into the boat, and it says after he had dismissed them, he went up, that's the people, he went up onto the mountainside by himself to pray. So here's Jesus getting himself away finally on his own to probably process the loss of his cousin and talk to God about it. And he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. You see, all my life, I've grown up in church my whole entire life. I'm very blessed 
to have done that. My parents pastored for 45 years, and so I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night. Most Sunday nights when I was little was sleeping under the chairs, but that's okay. It's good to be in the house and have that spirit around you. And so I'm growing up, and, and I got told, not necessarily by my parents, but, but it's kind of, you know how there's some unsaid things in the church. Nobody actually says it, but we all assume it. And one of those unsaid but assumed things is that the safest place to be is in the will of God. That whenever you're in the will of God, it's the safest place you can be. Well, here's the disciples in the will of God straining against the wind in the middle of a storm. Are you hearing me? If that is the case, if the safest place to be is in the will of God, then why is Jesus sending his disciples into a storm? Because you've got to remember, Jesus is fully man, but he's also fully God, so he knows that they're going into a storm, and he made them get into a boat knowing that they'll hit him for trouble. The wind and the waves were against them, but Jesus sent them into it. Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Protector, Jesus the Provider is now sending his disciples into a storm. And I, and I point this out because there are some people in this room that think the only time you're going through a difficult time is because the devil's against you. It's gone really quiet now. You think whenever something bad is happening, it's the devil. But in this case here, Jesus has sent his disciples into a storm. And so we have to understand this. Just because something is hard doesn't mean it's not of God. Just because something has been difficult in your life right now doesn't mean that you're not in the will of God in that moment. Plain sailing or calm winds does not mean that you're in the will of God. In fact, sometimes I think when we're sailing along in calm winds, it's we're not in the will of God. The enemy's just making our life easy because we like to be comfortable and so we don't really like resistance and we don't really like storms and so the enemy makes our life calm and comfortable, sometimes calmness doesn't mean that you're in the will of God at all. Don't get me wrong, we, we can cause our own storms. Jonah did that, didn't he? When he disobeyed God and instead of going to Nineveh, he decided to jump on a boat and go somewhere else and, and then God let a storm happen and then they threw Jonah overboard and then he got swallowed by a whale. I, I don't know about you, but I would rather go on a boat to Nineveh rather than go on the belly of a whale to Nineveh. I think the boat would have been a little bit more comfortable, yes? Are you guys with me today? You're very quiet. We can create our own storms through disobedience. We can create our own storms through some of the decisions that we made. But in this story here, Jesus sends them into a storm and sometimes God sends us into a storm and as we go through this, you're gonna see why in a minute. But the first thing that I always got told was that if you're in the will of God, you know, that's the right place to be, it's the safest place to be. I wanna tell you, sometimes being in the will of God is the most scariest and dangerous place to be, but it's also the best place to be. Because in the middle of the storms is when God reveals himself the most and our darkest moments is when the resurrection power powers us up the most, yeah? It's, it's, it's in the middle of needing a miracle that the miracle worker turns up. It's sometimes the greatest times we have of God is in the middle of a storm. The other thing that people would say to me as well when I was growing up is never get ahead of God, yet God sends them ahead of him. <laughs> There's some dumb things that people say in church, yes? 
if you've been in church long enough, you know there's a lot of dumb things that people say. Things like, if you're struggling to get healing, there must be sin in your life. If somebody ever says to you that there must be sin in your life and that's why God hasn't healed you, punch them in the face and go, now there is sin in my life. <laughs> Thank you. Because that's just not biblical. It's stupid. Jesus is sending his disciples ahead of him. It's crazy, right? Sends them into a storm. He sends them ahead of him. They're all on their own. He's not there with them. He's up on the hillside praying. But the thing is, is that this story, like a lot of the stories in the gospel, aren't just, it's not just in Matthew, but it's in a few of them. And, and in Mark, which is where we're going to pick up the story from, and Mark, Mark tells the same story, but Mark just puts a little bit of a different spin on it. So I decided to look at all the different stories and all the different ways that it was in the gospel. And I want us to jump across to Mark chapter 6, which is the same story, but we're in verse 48. And it says, He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Once again, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's, of, doesn't mean it's not of God. And then it goes on and it says, Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. There's something here that maybe you haven't seen before, but hopefully you'll, you'll grab it today. And, and that is in the story here, it says, he was about to pass them by. Here they are, straining against the wind, straining at the oars, going for a really difficult time, and he's about to pass them by. He's about to walk straight past them in the midst of their trouble. You're not convinced? Okay. How about if we look at, um, at, at, at in the New Living Translation, Mark 6, 48 says, he saw that they were in serious trouble, rolling hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus come toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. I, I, I don't get this, right? Because Jesus is our savior. He's, he's the one who delivers us, right? Like he's the one that sticks closer than a brother. He's the one that never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's the one that saves us from our sin and sets our feet upon a rock and pulls us out of the miry clay. Like he's, he's the God that rescues, saves, delivers, restores. Like he, he, he's that God. And, and yet here in this moment, when they're in the midst of trouble, and these are, these are professional fishermen, so when they're freaking out about a storm, it's because they should be freaked out about a storm, right? Because they, they do this for a, for a living. And he saw that they were in trouble. He could do something about it. And he just walks on by. That, 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 can't be, that can't be right, right? That, that just can't be right because the Bible says that, that he is our ever-present help in times of trouble, yes? Are you, are you hearing me today? It, it just can't be right, but it says that he intended to go past them. So I, I was thinking maybe, maybe Jesus didn't see them because he was so focusing on walking on water. I don't know if you've tried walking on water, but it's quite difficult. He was focusing so much on walking on water. And remember, there's wind and waves, so he's probably walking up waves, walking down waves. You know, like, it's probably a bit of a balancing 
issue going on. So maybe he was just so focused on that that he actually didn't intend to walk past him. He just didn't see them. Maybe that was the case. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that he intended to walk past. He wasn't there to save them. He intended to walk past them. But then something interrupts his intention of wanting to walk past them. Something stops him from walking past them and gets his attention to stop in the moment. And it says this in verse 49 of Mark 6. It says, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. So these guys are freaking out, right? They see something on the water. Not only are they in the middle of a storm, but then they see something coming towards them on the water that looks like a ghost. I don't know about you, like, the devil's coming? I can see it's a ghost. And, and, And the Bible says that they cried out and they were terrified. It wasn't like they were a little bit scared. They were They were terrified. They were completely freaking out. And Jesus would have just completely walked past them if he didn't hear the cry out of them because the cry out of them stops him in his tracks. He intended to walk past, but because they cried out, he stopped and he got, they got his attention. Is it possible that God is passing by in this church today and he just wants you to cry out? Is it possible that he is walking past your world right now and you might be in the middle of a storm, but what he's looking for is for you to cry out? Sometimes, this is me, I know it's not you, but sometimes when I'm going through a difficulty, I try and work it out myself. I try to come up with all the things that I need to do and all the ways that I need to do them so that I can work this thing out. It's, it's like crying out to God is what I do when I've tried everything else. You know, prayer should be our first priority, not our last response. And they cry out. I think God always wants to work out something in our lives in the middle of storms. He always wants to do something in our lives in the middle of storms. And sometimes he's just waiting for you to cry out before he does it. You see, Jesus would have just kept on walking past them if they didn't cry out. And here's the thing. This is what I want you to to grab hold of, is that they didn't cry out in faith. They cried out in fear. Sometimes we, we walk in our lives and, and stuff is going on around us and we go, I, I just, I need more faith. If I could just get that faith going on the inside of me, I'll, I'll crank on a little bit of uh, elevation music in my car and I'll, and I'll get my faith built to the place where, where I can really step out in faith and then God will move. God's just waiting for my faith to grow. No, 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 God just wants you to cry out. A cry out of fear stopped Jesus in his tracks. You see, see, God is a good, good father, right? And a good, good father doesn't wait for the right response. He just waits for a response. You know, when, when, when my kids were little, if I heard them cry out, I didn't sit 
in the lounge going, now, was that a cry of faith or was that a cry of fear? If it's a cry of faith, I will respond. If it's a cry of fear, I'm going to leave them to it. That's how we treat God sometimes. Seriously. Seriously, sometimes we treat God like he's this mean God up in heaven and he only responds to faith and not to fear. But I want to tell you, when I'm in the midst of difficulties, I'm not trying to build my faith. I'm just trying to build a cry out to God. Help me, rescue me, save me. My kids don't think, oh, hold on, I've I, I fallen off my bike and I've broken my leg, but I just get a little bit of faith going on the inside. No, they cry out in fear and in pain and in suffering and their father responds, right? Yeah. Now, if they're falling off their bike and they're just grazing their knee a little bit, I usually tell them, just get back on your bike and harden up. Mum's the one that's going to come along, oh, you okay, baby? But if their leg is broken, I'll have empathy. Yes? Sometimes we graze our knees and we want God to make it something more than what it is. And he's like, cool, I, I see you grazing your knee. Get back on the bike. But if you're in serious trouble, he is always there for you. He never abandons you. You don't need faith. You just need to cry. You just need to... Cry of fear will stop God in his tracks. Why? Because God doesn't care how you cry out. God just cares that you cry out because God is so compassionate that even just the sound of your cry is enough to get his attention in the middle of your circumstance. Isn't that awesome? I don't know about you, but this has saved me a lot over the years. I don't have to be full of faith. I just have to be full of a cry. I just have to be full of a cry. And some of you are like, well, I just, I don't think God can come through because I've got this wrong in my life and that wrong in my life and until I get those things sorted out, then I can't really cry out to him because why would God respond to me when I've got all these issues going on in my life that I need to sort out first? Because he's a good, good father. And he's not a jerk. Thank you, Suri. Here's the thing, when my kids cry out for help, I don't go, right, there's a few issues happening here, and until you sort those issues out, I'm not going to help you. All of you would think I was an awful dad if I did that, right? Right? Talk to me, yeah? Hey, Dad, I, I don't have quite enough money to buy tires for my car to get my war in a fitness, could I just get a loan from you for a week? Nah. Not helping. You can drive around on bald tires. And if you slide out around the corner and have a crash, let this lesson be learned to you. That's not being a dad, right? Are you hearing me? I feel like you're not hearing me today. Goes on in the story and it says, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid, Matthew 14, 27. He says to them immediately, in the midst of their fear cry, he says, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. I don't know about you, but I reckon there's a better way for Jesus to come to the disciples to comfort them other than appearing like a ghost. I think there are better ways that he could have come to them other than looking like a ghost. 
Thank you. Yes? Like, why come looking like, these guys are already freaked out. Is it is that Je- Jesus is the greatest prankster on the face of the planet? He goes, these guys are already freaking out. Watch this, watch this, Gabriel, watch this. I'm gonna come like a ghost and I'm just gonna freak him out all the more. I mean, I love to scare my kids. I like to hang around corners and then when they walk around, go, and, and scare them, you know? Who's, any dads like that? If you're a dad and you don't do that, you're not real dad. That's what dads do. It's our revenge. It's what we do to get them back, right? And so, so but there's, if, if, if one of my kids is really upset and, and, and say maybe Madison's crying and she comes around the corner and I go, boo, and just make it worse, all of you will be like, the girl's up. She would say to me, bro. Trinity would be like, we need to have a conversation. Your daughter's upset. How is that helping? Like, like Jesus, what were you thinking? Coming to them like a ghost like this, there's got to be better ways to turn up into somebody's life other than looking like that. Here's the thing. When God comes to us, we want him to come in a comfortable way or in a predictable way or in the same way that he always comes to us. We want him to turn up how we want him to turn up. We want him to do things in our lives how we want him to do things in our lives. You see, God came to Moses in a burning bush and said, I am. That's all he said. That's who I am. I am. And here's Jesus walking, looking like a ghost, saying, it is I. It is I. He didn't even say, it's Jesus. It's okay. He just said, it is I. I what? It is I. Here's the thing, can you recognize the presence of God when he doesn't come to you in a way that you expect? Can you recognize Jesus when he doesn't turn up how you expect him to? Can you recognize him when he doesn't turn up the way that you think he should? It's it's one thing to recognize the presence of God when he comes in the form of a blessing. But it's, can you recognize him when he comes in the form of a storm? Can you recognize him when he comes in the form of pain or sorrow or uncertainty? It's easy to recognize him in clear conditions, but can you recognize him when the storm's raging around you? Can you recognize his voice when you can't see his face? Because faith doesn't come by sight. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith and not by sight. So here's my question. In the middle of the storm, are you looking for changed conditions or are you listening for his voice? Can you recognize his voice when you can't see his face? Can you recognize his hand when it doesn't seem to be moving in the way that you want it to? Goes on in verse 28 of Matthew 14 and Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, So Peter's not even sure if it is him because remember all Jesus said, it is I. You still look like a ghost to me. I don't recognize you in the middle of this. And so Peter says, if it is you, Lord, command me to come to you on the water. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm like, Peter, what are you you thinking First of all, if I was Peter, I want proof that it was Jesus. So I'd be like, Jesus, is that you? 
It is I. Yeah, yeah. Is it, is it you? Like last week, you know, um, when we're having breakfast on Tuesday, I said something to you. What was it that I said to you? Because I need to identify that this is you before I, before I do anything. I need to make sure that, that this is one, like you need to prove that it's you before I do anything. I, I would have asked for a sign to prove that it was Jesus. And then I would have said to him, hey, before I come, could you just calm things down a little bit? Before I respond to you, can you just come? If it's you, actually, I'm not even going to get out of the boat. Here's the thing. If it's you, prove it by calming the storm. That's how I would respond. I know that's not how you would respond. It's just how I would respond. But Peter doesn't ask for a visible sign and he doesn't get one. He doesn't ask for improved conditions. I don't know about you, but... How often am I in the middle of trouble or in the middle of crisis and my prayer is like, God, can you stop this? God, can you end this? God, can you calm this? God, can you stop this? Can you stop this? I'm wanting him to improve the conditions around my life. I'm wanting him to calm the storm around my life. That is my prayer. It is usually your prayer that we're in the middle of major turbulence and we're saying to God, God, can you just, can you just, can you calm it? Can you stop it? Can you get me out of here? Can you remove me from the situation? I don't feel comfortable. Can you, can you stop this from happening? And that's how we want God to turn up in our lives, right? With a visible sign and improved conditions. We, we, want, we want him to turn up in our lives by making everything that's going crazy right. But Jesus doesn't reveal himself through improved conditions. He reveals himself through a command. If it's you, Lord... Command me to come. If it's you, command me. Not if it's you, I want to guarantee that I won't get hurt if I get out of this boat. If it's you, I want to guarantee that this is going to work out well for me. If it's you, I want to guarantee that as I give my life to you today, that my whole entire life is going to go like, it's going to be rainbows and sparkles for the rest of my life. That everything's going to go perfectly fine and perfectly amazing. If it's you, guarantee me that I won't get hurt. Before I get out of this boat, you've got you to guarantee that this will be over quickly, that the storm's going to cease, that things are going to you know, stop. I've said this before and I say it again. Rather than asking God for improved conditions, rather than asking God to stop the storms in our lives, why don't we, in the middle of the storms, ask him what his command is? Why don't we start asking him, what's your command in the middle of this? Because maybe, maybe God wants you to walk on water, not stay in the boat. Maybe God wants you to walk on the storm as a symbol of God's sovereignty over your life that others would see and go, wow, look at that, you're walking on on the storm, it's not overwhelming you, it's not overcoming you. Maybe what we need to do is stop praying for improved conditions and start asking him what his command is in the middle of our troubles. Matthew 14, 29 says, Jesus said to him, come. 
And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water and came towards Jesus. Here's the thing. Peter's not walking on water because people can't walk on water. I've tried it several times. Has anybody else tried that before? Like, let's be honest here. Don't leave me hanging. I know there are people in this room that you had a moment in your life where you thought, I'm going to try walking on water. Can I see a hand? Don't leave me hanging here. I see, come on. You leave them up hot. You be proud. We took a step of faith. It didn't work, but we tried, yes? I, I can remember when I was about nine years of age, and I'm like, man, I'm going to walk. I, I really believed. Like, I really believed like I'm saying to my brother, watch this, watch this. I'm gonna walk on water, I'm full of faith, watch this. And my brother's just like, what are you doing? Just watch, you'll be amazed. I took a step out and I sunk to the bottom of the pool. He wasn't amazed. <laughs> People can't walk on water. And Peter didn't walk on water, Peter walked on a word, see O-M-E. And the only way that you and I can walk above our troubles and our storms is when we get a command or a word from God because we walk on the word, not our circumstances, and it allows us to walk over the wind and the rains and the storms and the waves because we have a word from God that keeps us above those things. Do you have enough faith to walk towards the voice of the Savior even though you can't see his face because of the conditions of your life? He was walking towards the word. And as long as he walked towards the word, C-O-M-E, everything was fine. He was going great. He was walking on water. If that ain't an Instagram moment, I don't know what is. Selfie. But the Bible goes on, it says, in verse 30 of Matthew, it says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. You see, as soon as he saw something that contradicted what Jesus had said to him, as soon as he saw something that contradicted the word that God gave him, he started to slip. And the same thing happens to you and I. Sometimes God gives us a word and God says, hey, this is what I'm gonna do. This is what's gonna happen. This is where we're going. And you step out full of faith. I've done this plenty of times. Step out full of faith. Sometimes the front here, I feel like God's given me something and I'll stand up and I'll say to the church, this is what we're gonna do. And then I go home and think, what were you thinking, Craig? Because in that faith moment, everything's possible, right? Are you hearing me? Everything's possible in that faith moment. It's like, take on the world. Bring it on. Everything's possible in that faith moment. And then we start to look at some of the stuff going on around us and slowly but surely we start to, we start to slip. We start to sink. We take our eyes off the word that God's given us and we start to sink. Like God tells us to forgive someone and and you're doing really, really well with that, but then this massive wave of unforgiveness comes towards you and crashes against the boat of your life. Or you've got faith that God's gonna heal you, but then this massive wave of a doctor's report 
comes flooding towards your life and crashes against the boat of your life. And we start to slip and we start to sink. God wants to know if we will keep coming towards him, keep our eyes focused on him and not looking around at the stuff around us. Are we going to walk towards the word or are we going to get wiped out by the waves of life? But the great thing that I love about this story is Madison comes is that this story is not a season in Peter's life. This story is a moment in Peter's life. I think sometimes in the Christian world, we define our life by moments. A moment is a moment, it's not a season. It's not a year of weakness, it's a moment of weakness. I think sometimes we define our years by a moment or moments. We define the 50-odd years of our lives by one or two moments where maybe you just were weak. And we're allowed to be weak because God's strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. It's not a, it's not a season in Peter's life. It's a, it's a moment in Peter's life. And, and, and why is this so important? Because it matters what we do in the moments. It matters what we do in the moments. In those moments, we either walk towards the word or we let the wave take us out. You wake up happy, absolutely fine. You're looking forward to the day. And then all of a sudden you get a text message or you get an email from somebody. And all of a sudden your joy goes from joy to anger or frustration or you get a, a not in your spirit, right? You, you rock up to work, you're as happy as anything, and the boss goes, once you've got yourself sorted, I need to see you in the office. And straight away, this knot happens on the inside of you, and you start thinking, Whoa. just one, one email or one comment steals that joy immediately, and the wave pushes you off that word that God gave you about how you're gonna have a great day today and he's with you and you, you read something in your Bible that morning and it just stirred you and you're like, man, I'm, it's gonna be a great day and just one word, one email, one phone call, one text message, wave comes along and knocks you off the word. Peter has one word and it's one wave that takes him from walking to slipping. And everyone makes this story about Peter who, who lost faith, or Peter who took his eyes off Jesus. But, but I have a question. What about the other disciples that were in the boat? What were they doing? None of them walked on water. None of them got out of the boat. None of them did it. You know, when, when Maddie was was little, about eight years of age, I think, or maybe nine. One of our trips to Australia, we did this high ropes course. And it was pretty high. Like, I thought it was high. And we enjoyed it, had a whole heap of fun. And, I, and she was just like fearless, you know? Just, I mean, I, I was being a little bit cautious. Maybe a little bit is an exaggeration. I was being very cautious. 
But she was just fearless. It's like she'd just walk across these things and hook herself up and do this. And, you know, shouldn't surprise us that she's bungee jumped and jumped off the sky tower and wants to do a skydive. And I don't know why anybody would want to skydive. Why jump out of a perfectly good aeroplane? I have no idea. There's enough things out there to kill you. You don't have to... You don't have to heighten those opportunities, right? And I just said to her halfway through, I remember, aren't you scared? No, Dad, I've got a harness. I've got a harness. You see, the greatest thing about this story is not everything that we've already heard. The greatest thing about this story is that Peter understood that Jesus was his harness. That Peter understood that even though he was slipping, he didn't need to worry about it because Jesus was his harness. In verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink, crying out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Peter knew that Jesus wouldn't let him drown. Peter knew that that Jesus was his harness. Peter knew that if his faith failed, Jesus never will. Your faith may fail you, but Jesus never will. Jesus never will. Just another cry of fear in God's hand comes reaching out. Why is it that we think as Christians that if our faith fails that God abandons us? Why do we, why do we think sometimes that if we step out on faith and it fails that God's like, oh. I mean, Jesus didn't grab Peter's head and shove it under the water and go, this will teach you. You never should have got out of the boat in the first place. And let this be a lesson to all you still in the boat. Don't do anything stupid like this ever. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't rub his nose in his failure of faith. Jesus put out his hand. Jesus put out his hand and he lifted him up. Jesus didn't hold Peter under the water. put out his hand and he lifted him back up and then Peter walked on water with Jesus hand in hand back into the boat. The point of the story is never to demonstrate the strength of the weaknesses of Peter's faith. The point of the story is to demonstrate the greatness of God's grace. It's not about Peter who fell. It's about Jesus who reached down and picked up Peter and put his arm around him and walked him back into the boat. And that's why we can't be afraid in the middle of our storms as even though we might see the wind and the waves and even though our faith might fail, Jesus will always pick us up because that's who He is. He'll always reach out His hand. He'll always put His arm around you and walk you back into the safety of the boat. But you'll be walking on the water. You'll be walking on the storm as you going back into the safety of the boat. This is not a story about Peter's faith that failed. It's a story about the greatness and the mercy and the grace of God and how it's bigger than any mistake we make, how it's bigger than any faith that we fail. It's not a story about great faith. It's a story about the greater grace of God. It's greater than your failure. It's greater than your divorce. It's greater than your financial ruin. It's greater than your unemployment, greater than your addiction, greater than your slip up, greater than your grew up greater than the opinions of people back in the boat who never got out in the first place. His grace is greater than any of that. And that's what this story is about. 
that if you would keep stepping and keep believing, and even though when your faith may fail, His grace never does. His grace never does. Never fails. He's always reaching down and picking you up and helping you walk on the storm. But can I say this? Maybe it's time to stop asking him for improved conditions. Maybe it's time to stop looking for what Jesus is doing and start to listen to what he is saying. And take a step of faith. And you know what? If you sink, it's okay. Because there'll always be a hand reaching down to pick you up. But if you never step out, you'll always live with regret of what could have been. Another thing that the church used to say, God will never ask you to do something that you're not capable of doing. God always asks you to do stuff that you're not capable of doing. Because if you were capable of doing it, you wouldn't need him. He's not called the God of the possible. He's called the God of the impossible because He's always asking you to do impossible things. He's always asking you to step out of the boat. But He doesn't punish you when your faith fails. He picks you back up and walks you back in because His grace is bigger than any failure you'll ever have. But we've got to hear His voice and we've got to obey His commands. We've got to stop asking for improved conditions because improved conditions is not where miracles happen. Miracles happen in the middle of storms. Water-walking miracles happen in the middle of storms. Why don't we all close our eyes just for a moment. I don't know everybody in this place, and I don't know what you've gone through, but I know this. I know that he's a good, good father, and his intention for you was never for you to suffer. It doesn't mean that you won't have times of suffering that, that happens because we live in a world full of people and hurting people hurt people. Coming to Jesus doesn't make your life perfect, it just makes it possible. But what he did do is he did the greatest thing that he ever could do and he died on the cross for your sin, for you and I. Why? So we don't have to deal with it. So that we can receive his forgiveness for it. So that we can receive his healing for it. So we can receive his restoration for it. So that we can have the hand that'll pick us up when we're falling down. That's why he did it. Not for the benefit of him, but for the benefit of you and I. So that we can have a saviour that saves us every single time. And I don't know about you and I don't know where you are, but maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you've never seen Him that way. Maybe you've always seen God as, a, as an angry God that wants to punish you every time you make a mistake. And it's the first time you've heard this morning that God's not angry with you, but that God is in love with you. For God so loved the world. All He wants you to do is just say, Father, forgive me for my sin. And the Bible says that He will come and cleanse you of all of that. He is faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. 
It's what He does. It's who He is. And then the Bible says that He froze your sin as far as the east is from the west. And He froze it into the sea of forgetfulness. And He remembers it no more. And all we have to do today is confess our sin and then receive His forgiveness. And God can make everything right. And maybe you're here today and you've never, ever done that before. Or maybe you have, but if you're honest with yourself, you're far from God. And it's time to come back home. Like the prodigal son, where it says that he came to himself. In other words, he came to his senses and realized he's better to be in the Father's house than here with everybody else. So maybe you're, you're like, man, it's time for me to come home to the house of God. It's time for me to reconnect that relationship with Him. And I wanna do that this morning. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, but you, or, or you wanna reconnect with Him this morning because you've been far from Him, then I'm just gonna ask you in a moment to lift your hand. And when I see it, I'll ask you to put it down and that's all we're gonna do. We're gonna pray for you. And we'd love you to fill out the Live Connected card so that we can walk the journey with you. But we won't force you to do that. This is your choice. This is your journey. This is what you choose to do. You choose to pursue God. But if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I want to give my life to God or I want to reconnect with Him, I want to come back into alignment with Him. And you're here this morning. Why don't you just put up your hand right now? If that's you, just put up your hand. Thank you, thank you. Is anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else this morning? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Awesome, thank you. Right, why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to pray for those that lifted their hands today. Come on, every single person, just stand to our feet. Come on.